Okay, good morning, good morning. Um, let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer, please. Father God, we just praise you. Oh God, we love you so much. Thank you for the worship this morning. Thank you for the songs that you, Holy Spirit, chose to give this team to be lifted up before you because you knew and know what word you want to be given this morning. Father, I just place before you everything that you have shown me, God, to either expound upon that or to give something completely new and different. God, this service, this time, this word is yours and yours alone. Holy Spirit, we invite you to completely take over this place. I worship the name of Jesus. You are worthy. You are holy. You are mighty. I ask, Father, that you would cultivate through the willingness of hearts, cultivate the soil within our hearts so that the seed spoken of the word this morning would go down very deep and produce tremendous fruit. I pray, God, for, again, the journey that Michael and Greg are on in Nigeria this morning, that you would accomplish everything that you have them set to do, and that you would bring them home safely. Father, we trust you. We love you, God. We honor you. We worship you this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want you to turn with me to a scripture that will head us in the direction of what I believe the Lord wants to say this morning. And that is in Galatians chapter 6. And uh, I will be in a few different translations, so we will we'll see where we go with that. But um, in Galatians chapter 6, I was just reading it for my own um, reading. And uh, these are verses that I had learned as a child. And in verse 7, in the King James, it says, uh, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season... We shall reap if we faint not. When I finished that verse, the Lord loudly, clearly said, faint not. And I said, okay, Lord, I am listening. What are you saying? And he said, do not faint. Do not faint. Do not faint. So... I went into a little bit of an unpacking of this word faint. Sometimes, I was actually surprised because this was Monday morning that he gave me these two words. And I was very thankful because of some of the commitments I had during the week. Um, often he will not give me anything till later. And you know Greg, that clearly is the case, where Greg just consumes all kinds of things and conversations with the Lord throughout the week. And then oftentimes the Lord won't give him what to release until worship Sunday morning. 
And um, and even though that was a lot harder for me in my style of, of teaching through the years, I'm so thankful when God in his mercy and kindness and goodness shreds our go-to uh, methods because he really does want a fresh word. He wants something that is his breath spoken. And um, the more you are in relationship with the Lord and the more that you magnify who he is, the more you recognize that we are dust. And um, any method that I think would have some sort of value or, or merit in delivery is just kind of a joke because the Lord is like, why don't you just go ahead and empty out that vessel and just let me speak and the hard part will be the emptying of the vessel, but it'd be quite easy to just go ahead and let me flow through you because um, you just can't study your way into delivering the word of God. You you can seek him with all of your heart in the word, um, but he delivers it. So he gave me these words, and so I started to think about this word faint. And I came across a lot of different definitions, and but the first thing that came to me was... This idea in, I think, through the 1800s, early 1900s, that um, there was this piece of furniture called a fainting couch for women that uh, was also called a lounge chair or whatever. But the fainting couch was um, a place where when the, what some determined to be a torture device called a corset, uh, was tightened, placed, you know, on uh, like a girdle, if you will, and then uh, it, it has a very tight strong lace up and it would be laced up from the back and they would have the person that dressed them help tighten, 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 tighten. And the pressure would get to be so intense and it would be tightened and of course you had to make it very, very, very tight so that you could look as lovely as you could in your gown and in your beautiful attire because it was definitely the thing to do, especially in wealthy circles. And But at that point of pressure, there would be such a, a squeeze on your breath that you'd grow faint until you adjusted to it. So you would just lay back onto the couch and rest and adjust to this outfit that you just put on. Can you imagine? I mean, we live in the world of stretchy pants, okay? We can't even imagine wearing something that's that constricting on purpose. But it really showed me an interesting parallel to what God is doing. And it was so beautifully stated in the last worship song that we just sang. And um, Cole, I want you to pull up the last slide of the worship from First Love. That is what we sang over and over um, before we ended the song. And because it just encapsulates kind of what, um, what the Lord was saying to me as it pertains to fainting. And there were some real heavy things that he showed me this week. And, um, and sometimes I get excited about the revelation and then I go, oh... I'm going to be responsible. Like, any time I'm speaking out, I'm never going to be allowed to just give a word to you and, okay, take it, hope it does something for you, and then not be accountable myself. And so the weight of what he wanted to say this morning was just like, oh, you're telling me not to faint. I might, in fact, be feeling the squeeze of the corset and need to catch my breath a little bit. But God, thank you. It is your breath in my lungs. So I will not faint because I'll pour out my praise. In this song we just sang, it really hit me 
uh, come be our first love again. That love whose power conquered sin. That's really huge. The time has come to be a bride. Has it not? This is it. We need your love to unify. Christ's love alone will unify. But the time has come to be a bride. How about church? Be a bride. How about actually be a believing believer? Not just a ticket holder for the fire insurance, but be a believing believer. Be an actual, loyal, faithful bride that doesn't prostitute itself to the gods of this world. This is the time in which we're living. And we are in perilous days. Perilous times. For, for Peter to speak of these things and Timothy to speak of these things in these letters that in the last days perilous times shall come or, or difficult times should come. We've certainly seen in history difficult times and seasons. But this is a, there is a change that has happened roughly, I guess you could count 14 months ago. Your earring keeps hitting. Oh, pom, is it pom, this pom, one? Pom, pom. Yeah. Oh, click, click, click. Okay. It looks nice, but it's hitting. We are hitting. Oh, maybe it's because it's on the... Maybe it's on the... Thank you. Okay. We don't want any... We don't want that. We might have to remove it. Let's do that. Yes, we'll have to remove it. I wondered. I was hearing the clicking. <laughs> I didn't know where it was coming from. Thank you. Um, so, these times that, that we live in are, are just so serious. They're no joke. Now, there's a couple other scriptures that I want to show you. Let's also go to... Um, Proverbs 24.10, and but don't, but don't lose your place if, if you have a paper Bible, hold your spot in the, um, in the Galatians ones. But Proverbs 24.10, in the King James again it says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. There is a, and, and when I speak of faint, I'm not speaking of a stick-to-itiveness. You know, there's a verse in Second Corinthians, First Corinthians 15, uh, verse 58, and you can certainly go to there. First Corinthians 15, 58. This is my dad's, my father's life verse. He passed away now um, 29 years ago, and um, this verse I always understood a little bit differently than what I thought originally. He, um, I, I love the verse, and uh, finally, my beloved brother and. Let us be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Um, I love those words, steadfast, unmovable. The steadfastness and unmovability, though, in the upbringing that I was in, was basically a hunker down and stick to it. And and I was, you know, there was a lot of... uh, you do it, and you you know you, you follow the commandments, and you do these things. I didn't see it through the lens of relationship and faith. And what's interesting is the verse before that, in verse 57, if, if you happen to go there, if not, please pull that up, 1 Corinthians 15, which would be 57. It says, but thanks be to God, which gives us, giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, 
Thanks be to God. God's the one in relationship with him. And with your faith, you're going to be steadfast, unmovable, and always able to abound in an abundant place. We know from John 10.10, the famous verse that is a, is a dual verse of a good versus evil. The thief cometh, but for to steal, kill, destroy. But Jesus said, but I have come to give life and to give it more abundantly. He wants to give abundant life so that we can abound. But it doesn't just come from do-goodism. It doesn't come from stick to itiveness. It comes from really leaning on him. And so he is the source of the breath it's going to take to not faint. And there are some interesting definitions of, uh, of faith that are fainting that have to do with uh, lightheadedness, shortness of breath, even a, a lack of courage and, a, and um, fear and things like that to get in there. And so I want to look at a couple of other scriptures that pertain to this fainting. So let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians 3, 12 through 14. And this one is, um, I, I, I just was complete, I completely am in love with Ephesians because I mean, Greg's been there the last couple of weeks. It's just to the ecclesia, to the church, which is what I love about it. Um, and the reason it's particularly a love is because the uh, verses 16 through, through 18 are the, um, or rather 19, 16 through 19 are the strength for women of ignition, strength for women theme verses. But it says in verse 12 in, in the King James, I'll just, I'll just go there, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you. Paul is saying this to the writing to the church of Ephesus. Don't lose heart. Don't faint at, at what I am going through. See, because he was a representation of, of the calling that they were called to. And they're seeing him go through, I mean, hell is unleashed into his life. Beatings, scourgings, imprisonments, all these things. And he's saying, don't lose your, don't lose heart, don't faint, even at my tribulations. Okay? For this cause, verse 14, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus, of whom the whole family in heaven is, uh, and earth is named. He knew what he was called to. He, he, was, he grasped the absolute... Um, wonder and magnitude of who God was. And remember, Paul, too, is the, was the Pharisee of Pharisees. So in terms of stick-to-itiveness and, and these precepts and living by, you know, this, I've got my word and I can do my stuff, he knew all about that. And that's why he had to have a road to Damascus experience, because God needed to wake him up and show him. Like, he's trying to wake up the bride right now and say, and in a way, we are getting a sweeping road to Damascus experience over the church today, because the church is needing to recognize that you can't cling to the things that you're comfortable with. You cannot, and the cliche is not even understood that says, God in a box. Don't put God in a box. Most people that have God in a box are offended at that statement being directed at them, because they're so convinced they don't have God in a box. But you know when you don't have God in a box. It's, it's when you're willing to be out of your comfort zone and completely conversationally be led of him and hear his voice. But he's saying here, um, for this cause, he, he, he recognized it in humility, Paul did, um, that, that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is, is the one that's going to give him strength. 
So then he says, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may, may be able to comprehend, experientially by the way, to comprehend with all things, what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of him. He doesn't want us to faint because there are perilous times that are coming. And we've spoken of this before in, I think it was a Tuesday or Wednesday, a Tuesday or a previous Sunday in some setting, that um, you can have perilous times and you can have a glorious experience and intimacy and power and the working of the Word of God and, and the, through, through Jesus Christ in relationship at the same time. And the reason everything is being shaken right now is because He wants to be the foundation upon which we stand. So let's go, and, and all of these verses are actually kind of connected, but let's go to Hebrews 12. I'm going to take you a few places, so hang with me. Don't, don't lose me here. Um, we spoke of the first two quite extensively in the women's class downstairs. Um, in verse 2, it, it of course says, Looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, uh, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, because he led the way, recognizing all these things that came against him. But he endured them. He was willing to set it aside and essentially... Ignore it, not deny it, not that sense of ignoring, but set it aside as unimportant and irrelevant as having influence in his mission. He was willing to do that. So it says to him, it says here in verse 3, For consider him, that what they're talking about, Jesus, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Don't faint. Don't faint. I love in verse 4, it says, Ye have not resisted yet unto blood, striving against sin, or in the New Living. It says, After all, you've not given your lives yet in your struggle against sin. I love that context. Because if you read the chapter before it, you see case after case of the Hall of Faith. All these people that by faith could see the real reality, which was the life to come. And in a culture of humanistic philosophies, humanism, hedonism, um, which is comfort-seeking, there, there are so many things, we spoke in the latest class about instant gratification, there are so many things that even the removal of the comforts brings people to a place of distress. And yet they've not even begun. It has been difficult in the last 14 months with various things that have happened. Um, the introduction of this pandemic, this um, sickness, the fear that came with it as, as the demonic marker. It was not, um, it was a strategic sickness marked to incite fear as well. And there have been lots of things. The entire, from the beginning of when the Lord first released to us the word way back in October of 2019, he said that turmoil, turmoil, turmoil was coming. We didn't exactly know in what form. But that exact word to a T unfolded before our eyes. 
Then when he spoke that the first woe would begin, this cyclical foreshadowing of what we're going to go through in this, as First Peter talks about, judgment beginning in the house of the Lord. Eleven days after that woe began, the entire planet, the entire globe changed in terms of the lockdowns, the sickness, the things that have happened. And if you could, if you could understand globally what has happened with pestilence, with earthquakes, with bizarre things that have happened, everything that God has spoken is happening. There is a shaking. And we're only at the beginning part of that. You see, because God's love purifies and burns off things that are insignificant. And so he has to uh, shake off things, not for, as I've said so many times, not for our peril, not for our distress. It can be distracting to have something removed from you, um, but for our good. Because it's, it's, a, it's a breaking off and a shaking off of the chains that have kept us bound. And we see, we see things like that even from a small child. Um, when a child is finally at the age where they no longer really need for actual developmental teething purposes, they no longer need their pacifier, a wise parent will wean them off of it. Lest they end up, it ends up reshaping their teeth, and some of them end up with, with buck teeth, or they end up with these dependencies. Well, if you know anything about the removal process of a, of a pacifier, or binky, or whatever you want to call it from a child, it's pretty dramatic. I mean, they're just not happy. You know, you might start with uh, maybe it, uh, sections during the day, and maybe they allow it at night, or maybe you stop at night and allow it during the day. But either way, the child's not happy, and they just let us know. I just get such a kick out of how kids have a fit. Because honestly, that is no different than an adult. We just carry ourselves a little with a little more decorum. But inside, we are like, ah, you know, we're, just, we're having the same fit about things that don't go our way as a two-year-old does. Um, and it's tough. It's tough when our comforts are removed. But this, this fainting, I really believe what God is just saying in fainting not, is he's saying, look, I need you to believe me through everything that it's going to take to purify my bride. Because there has been such wrong messaging in the church. First of all, one of the wrong messaging is that everything is just going to get so bad and so terrible that God will feel so sorry for us that he'll just come and just scoop us up and take us home. And uh, did I lose my... If it goes out, just let me know. Um, that is not what the reading of the bride is. And that's what we've been talking about so much. I won't repeat it. Greg's preached on that so many times in his reading of the bride, but it's not preached often. So the lens is such that whenever dark times come, that must mean Jesus is coming back. Yes and no. But he is coming to purify, to ready. And in that readying, he knows what it takes. He, the trainer, is teaching us what, what it will take in, in our belief and in our faith. And I love that back, you know, the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt and out of their slavery, it's a picture of the Christian life coming out of sin and then going through that sanctification, that period of time in relationship with the Lord in the wilderness, and then entering into Canaan. Now, some people refer only to Canaan as heaven, or some people refer to Canaan as the uh, entering into your calling and the will of God for you. Essentially, it can kind of be the same thing. 
because you're entering in. But in light of where we are now, in this period of time in history, when you look at what God is trying to do, he was trying to purify and shake off and get rid of all of the things that, the, that in captivity the children of Israel were completely surrounded by. I mean, there were demonic gods all over the place. There was temptation everywhere to worship like the Egyptians. There was such oppression on them. They were not respected. They were slaves. They were not esteemed. And, and look at what they went through with the plagues just to be released from the children, from, the, from Egypt. But I, I noticed in Deuteronomy 20, which I want you to see, Deuteronomy 20, uh, verses 1 through 4, and um, I found this to be so powerful because it, it just seemed to speak to me right where we are right now. It says here, and I'll just, again, I may go to other translations, but right now I'm in King James again. When thou go, this is a, this is a regulation or an instruction that he's giving the, the people um, for the times that are, they're going to be fighting against armies that are standing on their land. There, there, are, there are demonic elements on your promised land in terms of this life that, that need to be conquered. So he's saying, when thou goest into battle, out to battle against thine enemies, and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. It's like, hey, I delivered you. I, I got you out of these strongholds of evil that you were captive to. But now you're going to move forward and you're going to continue to be a victor. So in verse 2 it says, It shall be when ye are come nigh unto the battle, that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint. Fear not and do not tremble. Neither be terrified because of them. Why? For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. I just love that. Um, that is such a powerful scripture. Um, God is really with us. I want to look at that actually as well in the, um, in the Amplified Classic. Um, because I really just... I just was overwhelmed by these. That God just wants us to know that He is with us. And sadly, we don't even recognize this when it comes to this virus. We don't even really believe Him for our help. We have been so so quick to comply with man's laws instead of discern and have discerning of spirit. What spirit is at play? What spirit is behind an agenda that wants to separate the church? That wants to shut down worship? that wants to hinder people from contact, from things like that. Is it really for the betterment of our health when there have been so many other diseases and no one ever talks about the yearly flu that thousands and thousands and thousands of people die from? But this one, I mean, you can make anything. You put enough fear, stoke enough fear in one of our daily uh, challenges in this life, and it can become a mountain of a challenge. I was sharing that with Yvonne even on the way here. I think it was on the way here this morning. That if you were maybe the other night, if you start to just focus on car accidents, 
How many, how often, how bad, and the injuries from them. You will never, ever get in a vehicle again. I mean, cars would be just in a big metal mound to be donated to maybe build a building or something. People would just go back to whatever, like 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 the forces would be safer. But I mean, you know, like, if you focus on, I mean, we're going at fast speed, you know, I mean, 95, I mean, you, you may as well just just walk into some crash party at times with, with the way people drive on 95. But there is an element of trust. There's wisdom, there's caution, precautions, and then there's just trust that God's going to carry you from point A to point B. And when things come against you, there's trust that there's a, a purpose in it, that he was with you, he's going to show you who he is through the tribulation that you experience in this world. But there has to be a point of trust. And we really haven't even um, experienced the level of faith that God wants us to experience so desperately so he can just show us more of who he is. So in the, new, in the, on the Amplified, I just want to read this again. When you go forth to battle against your enemies and see the horses and the chariots and an army greater than your own, we are about to see that in this realm. Now, yes, many of us have had seer experiences like Elisha's servant, where we can see armies. I was able to have my eyes opened and saw the armies uh, fighting in the spirit realm uh, above us in Nigeria when we were traveling from um, Abuja into McCurdy. And it was pretty overwhelming, but it was really cool. It was just like there was a big screen, and I was watching one of these you know, movies back in whatever, you know, medieval times. And it was really... But it gave me such a sense of the, the reality around us in the spirit. Because, of course, Ephesians 12 reminds us all the time, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. The enemy, as a counterfeit to God, will work through flesh and blood to come and create you know, evil things and, and speak evil against us. But we actually, our real battle is in the spirit realm. And it's amazing when you see these things, but we're about to see it in this realm. And we've seen it. We've seen it. I saw so clearly in some of the riots and some of the things, some of the looting. You you catch eyes. You you hear their voices. In some cases, some of the people involved in that were fully, fully demonically possessed to the point where they weren't even aware that what they were either trying to tear down or blow up or do would. It was almost like. Um, there was a, and, and to them, it's a deception of nobility. Like, even if I get burned up and trying to burn you down, so be it. It's better that you just burn down. It's this kind of, a, almost like a, that Unabomber kind of mentality that, yes, I realize I'm going to blow up too, but I will have accomplished my mission. It, it's a, such a sad, you know, Satan just has deceived so many minds. And these are things that will rise up. And we've gotten this state. We've gotten to this place. Because there's been a lack of purity in the bride. There's been a lack of readiness. And when truth ceases to be declared in the public square, evil will rise up. A deception. It will, there will be a void that will be filled. When Satan sees that, a, that there's an empty door or an opening to come in, he is the thief that cometh but for to steal, to kill, to destroy. And we have to recognize that, um, that there comes a place where you, you have to rise up against the evil. Because many people um, are struggling with, well, why is all this happening? Why is all this happening? And, and are in a place 
place of, I need to just kind of sit this one, you know, hunger down and just start hoping and praying. Praying is, is good. But in the context of that phrase, it's not a place of action. See, prayer is a place of action. Prayer is a place of engagement in the war. For people that are that say that, they're normally it's a prayer of hope. Well, I really hope this is going to, Lord, I just really hope this is going to pass. Lord, please, I really, I pray that this will, they might use the word prayer, but the engagement of their spirit is a place of helplessness and hopelessness and fear and waiting for somebody externally to change my circumstances so that I feel better. Sadly, sadly, God is saying, I'm not going to allow that to happen anymore. In my grace and in my mercy, I have come to you. I have fixed it. In fact, there's an acronym uh, of grace that I love. God's riches at Christ's expense. Because of what Jesus paid for, the riches of the glory of what Jesus paid for on the cross have, have come and in his mercy he has waited and waited and waited and, and waited for people to just stand up and believe. He's been waiting for those people to believe. And yet, there's been such intense unbelief that it's hindered God's hand. But in his grace and mercy, he's waiting for people to stand up. And with them not, it's, he's, too, he's holy. He will not be deceived. Don't be, don't be deceived because he will not be mocked, rather. But he's saying here to, to the children of Israel, which is a word for us today, when you go into battle and you see these horses, these chariots, all these things, an army greater than your own that you feel like in your, in your mind's eye, don't be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, who by the way saved your soul, brought you out of Egypt, the land of Egypt, he is with you. So whatever you see, what does John, the, the first John tell us? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And these are truths that we believe, but we don't believe. You can intellectually know it, understand it, and for someone that's been learning Bible verses since I was a little child, I've had to relearn them in the context of the reality of experientially knowing them. You can know things in theory all day. You can memorize the book of the driver's manual, but until you are behind the wheel operating that car, you do not know, actually know, how to drive. You, you understand the concepts of driving, and perhaps more than the average person actually behind the wheel. <laughs> Some of them would do well to look in the book and learn a few, learn a few concepts about driving. But verse 2, and, it's, and I'm still in Deuteronomy 20, uh, when you come near to the battle of the priest shall approach you and speak to them, to the men, and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, you draw near this day to battle against your enemy. Let not your minds and hearts faint. Fear not. Do not tremble or be terrified. And in dread because of them. Why? Because, boy, it starts in the mind. You've got to cast down those imaginations. Because verse 4, For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to save you. There is psychological warfare like we've never seen before. There are... There's an onslaught of attempts from 2 Corinthians 10, you know, verses 4 and 5, attempts to have these imaginations, these suggestions, or what some translations say are proud arguments, exalt themselves in your mind above the knowledge of God. 
And I will tell you, you can know the word, know the word, know the word. But if you do not know the voice of God, if you do not know him, you will not know how to cast down those imaginations. You have to have, and I really believe this is at the crux of this faint knot. The Lord so desperately loves us. That's why I love that song, First Love. His love is what constrains us, and, and he, he longs for his love to draw us to him. But he so desperately wants this communication, this fellowship. He died Jesus died to pay for access to him in that kind of fellowship. And he so desires that. But when we don't have that and we only just know about him, then we're not going to be able to actually, in an experiential way, fight the warfare. Because I'll tell you what, the, the demonic voices are louder than they have ever been. They come in every form. It's like everywhere I turn, even what I thought was maybe a trusted source of either news or, or maybe even a trusted artist that wrote songs. You have to be discerning. There was a Christian artist that, uh, upon Donald Trump's first uh, being elected, which was a surprise to many, many people, and it really did a number, and it was the, one of the initial parts of the line in the sand for the bride, because he was the least likely, you know, type of guy that should be, you know, that would be the best for what this nation was supposed to be, according to a lot of people leaning on their own understanding. And um, just, just not knowing that God can work through flawed individuals um, is, is to get insight into someone's lack of understanding of the word, because there's just... Example after example after example of broken, flawed people that when God's anointing hand is on them, he actually gets more glory through them. But there was a Christian artist that upon that happening felt that to rise up with this, this isn't the way it's supposed to be, and they wrote a song, and it was basically a declaration that, if you read it carefully, how I discerned it, it was a curse a word curse song against God's anointed. And I really felt, and I, I know that this artist felt that they were doing something that was good and that they were going to help the church not fall into the trap of, you know, wanting this guy around. You know, let's, let's fight him, let's get him out. And, um, but it, it, it comes back on to their own divine when they did that. See, because if we have knee-jerk reactions, see, the Lord doesn't want us to um, rely on, on methods, on skill sets, on the way, on the n- numerous Bible studies that we may have gone through, on the numerous verses that we may have memorized, and I know a lot of them. And it's easy to go to the go-to point, and it's like, well, yeah, that's what that verse says. I don't care if it's John 3.16 that was my, I think, one of my very first verses ever that I learned. Every time I quote, speak, or read scripture, I ask the Holy Spirit to show me something brand new, or I ask the Holy Spirit, am I, am I, getting, this, am I getting this right? Because if it ever becomes an intellectual complacency of, I know that verse, and yeah, I know what that means, you just, it's, it's such a limitation of who God is. God is so, so wonderful. There's such wonder and greatness in who he is that uh, we got to 
we got to be careful not to box him in in anything that we do. Um, the last uh, place that I want to take you, um, I think if you, if you went back to Deuteronomy, I want to take you back to, the, uh, to Hebrews because I just want to read something to you. Um, and it is from chapter 11, so if you were in 12. When the Lord showed me the verse that I just read to you, which is that... Um, Ye have not, in verse 12, uh, Hebrews 12, verse 4, you've not even resisted yet unto blood. I think one of the New Living Translations says, after all, you have not even yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. So it's like, if you think you've got it hard, and he just, it just, chapter 11 just poured over me. So I want to, um, I want to just start in um, verse 17, and, um, I'm going to be in the New Living, but it's probably not the updated New Living, because I'm going to read it out of my Bible. So you can put up the New Living, but you may see a word change there, or if you're on your phones, you will. This one, I want you to see yourself and ask yourself, as, as I read this here, ask yourself this fainting, what would it take to, to move you, to shake you from your foundation, or to cause you to faint? In the sense of fainting being your faith, the fainting of your faith, what would it take? What, what would you, what would give you the greatest challenge to say, I'm out, I can't, I can't pay that cost, I can't, I can't endure, I can't keep believing with all of this coming against me and everything that you've told me, Lord, I don't see evidence of. That's the purity of faith. We know from the first verse of Hebrews 11, which we're not going to read, faith is the substance of things only hoped for. Faith is itself the evidence of things not seen. Faith itself is the victory. It is the faith. And, and it's not that, and I don't mean the mantra of a belief system. I'm talking about the faith, the absolute um, <coughs> The faith that's rewarded, that believes that God is God. That's why it says that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And they diligently seek him because they just believe him. So in verse 17, just ask yourself that question when we're reading this. It was by faith that, and then, I mean, he was 11. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Though God had promised him, Isaac is the son whom your descendants will be counted through. Abraham assumed, he, he just had such a close relationship with God, he assumed that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead, because he was fully given over to God. Nothing, I withhold nothing from you. Abraham said. It was by faith, verse 20, that Isaac blessed his two sons, Jacob and Esau. He had confidence in what God was going to do in the future. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, not to mention his whole story during his life, which is incredible, but when he was about to die, confidently spoke of God bringing the people of Israel, uh, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. He was so 
that he commanded them to carry his bones with them when he left. Talk about prophesying and knowing. I know what God has told me, and so this is what I'm going to have you do. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid of what the king might do. I just love that. Are we afraid of what the king might do? The local governors, mayors, people that want to be kings of the world in some cases. When the Lord shows you what to do, you seek the Lord. The Lord will sometimes tell you to honor certain things in this life. Absolutely. But then there are times when he won't. Because if somebody is imposing something evil against you, there is a point when you stand firm. Otherwise, evil prevails. So it's not about, well, but don't you have a better testimony if you just complied? Wouldn't they have had a better testimony if they just complied? Not if God is telling you something different. We don't even understand the give me liberty or give me death concept today. 24. It was by faith that Moses then, when he grew up, refused to be treated as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. A wealthy, posh environment, by the way, living in Pharaoh's home. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of the Messiah than to own the treasures of Egypt or this world. For he, in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, with God himself, was looking ahead to the great reward that God would give him. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt. He was not afraid of the king. Because the king said no. Twelve very strong times, which is why the plagues had to come. And uh, God often, by the way, will do that. Don't forget about these stories that are so relevant. God's glory was seen in allowing and in actually hardening Pharaoh's heart. Because the more obstinate he became, the more God's power could come. Because remember, they were in Egypt where there was a lot of demonic activity. It wasn't like people didn't see power in the supernatural. They just saw a lot of Satan's power. So God had to go in and say, I'm going to one-up this stuff. You, you think you serve a powerful God. Wait. Your, your gods do this. I'll see you that play, and I'll raise you this. And that's exactly what he did. It was by faith, in verse 28, that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle the blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians followed, they were all drowned. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho seven days and the wall came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, did not die with all the others in her city who refused to obey God. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And another verse, don't judge the package. God knows the heart. Others that I'm sure had a nice churchy package, never had one sexual indiscretion in their life, probably had cold, hard hearts. God saw the heart of Rahab. Well, verse 32, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jaffala, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, 
ruled with justice. They received what God had promised them. They shut the lion's mouth, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle. They didn't faint and put their whole army to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others trusted God and were tortured. Preferring in their particular trial, preferring to die rather than to turn from God and be temporarily free. They placed their hope in the resurrection to a better life. Some were mocked and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in dungeons. Some died by stoning and some were sawn in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went in, went about with skins of sheep and goats, hungry, oppressed, mistreated. They were too good for this world. That's the lens we need to have. These people were not lacking in this world. They were too good for this world. Because guess what? Life is but a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanishes away. We are here for five minutes compared to eternity. They were too good. I love that. I just love that. They wandered over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All of these people we have mentioned received God's approval because of their faith. They became, by the way, readied as the bride of Christ before their death. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had far better things in mind for us that would benefit, that would also benefit them, for they can't receive the prize at the end of the race until we finish the race. Do you know you're not in this race just for what you can get? My human father on this earth 29 years ago, as I served the Lord, his treasures were racking up. What he did in faith and service for the Lord is bringing treasures. The, the lineage of, of all these Hall of Faith people, the race is not finally won until we all run the race. And that is why, as the beginning of chapter 12 says, we have encompassed about us in the spirit realm a great cloud of witnesses rooting us on, saying, Brooke, no, don't look to the right at that job opportunity. Don't look to the left at that man, at that guy. Seek the Lord for everything. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Don't be entangled with the things of this life. Don't be entangled. He wants a pure bride. He wants a pure bride. And I think now of, I had a beautiful vision of my, my father and greeting him at the entrance to a particular space in, in heaven and had such delight on his face. And one of the first things that I recognized in his demeanor, and I, I believe it's with everyone there, is that they get it now. They get it. They get that it doesn't matter how hard it is, you don't want to be on the unbelieving side. No matter what you have to go through, you have not yet given your life. You've not yet given your life. So anything less than that is not hard. And I, I, it makes me tear up because I know that um, somebody, she was, thank you, <laughs> really, really 
I didn't think I'd need them today. But I know there's a great cost in even delivering a message like this because persecution is coming, folks. It's coming. It's here. It's here. Um, people have gone to their plan B, their online plan B, their, their plan C of various different options. Um, and and I, don't, I don't say that to, uh, disparagingly because uh, there are people that are following the Lord who are doing that. Uh, but, but I will say that uh, if you think that uh, the separation and the lockdowns is pressure, um, it isn't. It isn't. You've not yet given your life for what you believe. And the word today, and uh, that's all I have to unpack, but I will tell you, and let us not be weary. The very first verses we sang, said today, in well-doing, for in due season, there is a season coming of that readying of the bride, of that beautiful third woe when the bride is ready, when we will rule and reign with Jesus. Don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. Revelation 12, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, because of what Jesus did. The word of their testimony. Speak it. I believed, therefore I have spoken, Paul said. He was quoting from Psalm 116. And then that they loved their life, not unto death. That is a verse we may know, we may know, we may know. Some in here will go through various different things, various different challenges. We're not all called. That's why the Hall of Faith is important. Some of them, their loved ones, were returned back to them. Others, unimaginably, in our day and age, were literally sawn in half. We really, we really can't even comprehend those things. That's a very difficult thing to comprehend in our society of being put out if somebody steps in front of us in line so that we, we missed getting the sale, the, the sweater that was on sale, you know, at Kohl's. We, we really have no, um, we have no idea the safe space environment of um, people being unable to even speak something different than what, exactly what they think, and, and they go into a place of, of almost just, uh, you know, bang my head against the wall, I can't handle it kind of moment. The Lord is saying, I need you to faint not, because I am your strength. I need you to come and talk to me and know that I speak. Know that I actually conversationally, conversationally desire a relationship with you. I don't just intellectually release through some spirit epiphanies what this book says that will help you to know more about history. It's not that. This is the word, the breath of God speaking. And that's why there are layers and layers and layers deep. You'll continue to learn from the same verses that you learned because it's new revelation. And if, if, if Brooke got John 3.16 when she was three, then for that season of her understanding that God loved me and he died and he shall not perish but have everlasting life, you know, in her little boy. She understood it there, but guess what? Then at ten years old, she can comprehend it a little deeper. And then now... As an adult, she can comprehend it a little bit. There are seasons in our life where we're ready to receive things that we weren't ready for before because our heart posture wasn't there. Wasn't there. So I'm going I'm to leave it there. I, uh, I'm just overflowing with some things in my heart, but I need the Holy Spirit to just speak to you directly. I want you to bow with me. Father, 
God, you have you've asked us this morning to faint not. You so desperately desire that we we reap in this bountiful experience of this relational gift that you've given us with you. And in the last days, of which we are certainly, it's not even a stretch to believe we're in the last of the last days in many respects, perilous, difficult, trying times are upon us. And you've allowed these things because you want all of our coping mechanisms, all of our go-to comforts, all of the hedonistic, humanistic, narcissistic things that are the existence of our world to be shaken off so that we get to see you finally, get to see your love for us, who you are to us, who you desire to be to us. So that we can actually say experientially, like Peter did, that in him, in you, Lord Jesus, I live, I move about, and I have my being in you, Lord Jesus. I desire that, God. I don't know what it will cost me. But God, you are my God in this world. I will have tribulations. I have had tribulations. And oh God, you've been with me every step of the way. You've given me a glory perspective. You've made so many beautiful promises. How can we cower? How can we pull back and lose sight of what you're asking us to do and how you're asking us to just stand firm in you and give us promises like I have not seen nor ear have heard. Neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. That is enormous. We can't even comprehend what you have for us. And yet it's going to cost us for a few more minutes here on this earth God, give us strength. You not only said, faint not, but you literally promised us all spiritual blessings so that in everything, every temptation, even the temptation to give up, you make a way to escape because Jesus did it. I praise you this morning. I praise you this morning. I want you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed if you would. And I just want to ask you this morning, how many of you would say, I need prayer that I won't be shaken? Maybe the Lord's shown you some vulnerabilities in your life. Maybe God's shown you some areas where you're thinking, Lord, I trust you, but please don't touch that. God, I, I, I want you and I want to do your will as long as it kind of goes with this plan because, God, you know, you know what I, what I really want and I know that you desire to grace us with things that we desire, so please don't change that path. If all things were shaken, would your faith and in relationship with him be shaken? See, God is not sadistic. He doesn't just strip things away 
to say, ah, there you go, it's gone now, see how you like that. That is not the God of love. But he does say, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, lay it at my feet. Because in exchange for all your plans, all the things you're trying to fix and keep up with, and the money you're trying to make, and the things you're trying to do in your relationships, and bodies, and lives, and work, and school, I'll give you rest, which is a confidence in me that the world cannot give. How many of you, by raise of a hand, would say, I do need prayer, that I will not be shaken in whatever will be shaking this nation that we're going to go through? I see many hands, many hands. I'm going to pray for you now. Father God, oh God, I, you've seen every hand. Even if I didn't see every hand, God, you saw every hand. And even the faith and the trust and the selflessness it took to raise a hand, to be seen by another human, the humility that that took, God, honor that. God, I ask you to meet them at the point of their need, that you might strengthen and build up their most holy faith, that as they every day just wake up and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. I will be glad in it because you seek to have fellowship. So God, tell me what to think. I don't even want to wake up. I don't want to wake up to Facebook asking me what's on my carnal mind. I want the, the mind of Christ. I want to think like you because it's just too hard to navigate through this craziness nonsensical life that we're in right now. God, we need you. We need discernment. We need the discerning of the spirit that play around us. God, build up everyone's faith, God, especially those that raise their hands. I thank you, God, that you will. You love us so much. You meet us right where we are. But then you don't leave us in that pit. You take us out with the miry clay you set us high. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Thank you for all the verses in Psalm 91. We love you. God, we trust you. Apart from you, God, we can do nothing. But in you, God, with our yes, we will faint not. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't write down my...